everyone. It's great to see you. I'll give you a few more minutes to settle down and find a seat. Welcome to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist interview at the War Memorial Opera House. My name is Claire Sheridan. I'm the founder of the LEAP program at St. Mary's College of California, and I'm your host here today for the San Francisco Ballet Center for Dance Education. It's Sunday, February 3rd, 2013, and this is program one. Many of these Meet the Artist interviews are available as podcasts on our website at sfballet.org, and so with that in mind, I'd also like to welcome our online listeners. Our guest today wears two very important hats at San Francisco Ballet. One as principal character dancer and the other as ballet master for the company. She is uniquely qualified for both positions, having joined SFB as a dancer in 1968, working first with artistic director Lou Christensen, then Michael Smuin, and now Helgi Thomason. She has made a tremendous contribution to San Francisco Ballet's success and evolution into a world-class company. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Anita Pachotti. Good afternoon. It's nice to be here. Hello. Okay, hat number one, ballet master. Could you tell us briefly what your responsibilities are? We are a group of five, and we are assigned to different pieces throughout the season. Sometimes all of us are working together. Uh, most of the time on a full length, we'll be, all of us will be involved in some way. And then in the repertory pieces, usually just one of us will be assigned. We will be in the room as the piece is choreographed, whether it's an in-house person, such as Val Canaparoli or Yuri Posikov or Helgi Thomason, or an, uh, um, a visitor, you know, who, in the case of the visitor, they will be here for something like three weeks, sometimes more if it's a, a full-length ballet would be longer, but not a very long time. And then they're gone. And this process often happens during the summer months, so it might be uh, July or August. And then after that piece is done and the choreographer goes back home, it's up to us to bring it back to memory, which might not happen until January, February, March, because it doesn't happen until during our season. So that's a, a really big responsibility. We videotape in the studio. We all have our version of what kind of note-taking to do, and we work on our own to, to get the ballet as much in our own minds as we can and retain the integrity and the intentions of the choreographer as you know, he wanted it. And it's, it's up to the dancers, of course, to remember as well. So we all work together to, to bring the ballet back and then help get it on the stage. And for, days, for today's program, you staged In the Night, correct? Right. We'll get back to that. But first, uh, now, hat number two, what is a principal character dancer? Uh, all those people that you see portraying the queen, the witch, the, the, uh, the mother, the mother, the nurse, uh, those, are the, those are my hats. You know, if, uh, the men have Drosselmeyer, uh, Dr. Coppelius, all the, any character in the party scene of Nutcracker, most of the time those are done by um, company members, actually, the parents, but the grandfather is generally Jim Soam or uh, other, other people. So we have those kind of kinds of roles where we have experience having been on the stage, we understand the musicality, we understand timing, 
and hopefully we can contribute something from our experience. <laughs> and maturity sometimes is actually really important. It's, it's sometimes better to have, I like to say it, sometimes it's better to have an older person. <laughs> um, will you be performing this season? This season, I think I'm going to appear in Cinderella. That's the only time. And it's, I'm not absolutely sure of that. There are several casts, and we're still de determining all of that. When you're performing as a character dancer, do you turn off the ballet master switch, or are you still monitoring what's going on in the ballet, even though you're on stage acting your heart out? It's interesting. I, I don't do very well at wearing both hats. Like, like, for example, in Romeo and Juliet, I stage the ballroom scene, but I'm also in it as the nurse once we're performing, and I find that if I start to watch if the lines are straight, I've, I've lost something in my own character, and so I really don't do both at the same time on the stage. I just become one of the dancers. It's, it's actually really refreshing and, and fun to become a, a cast member again. What's been one of your proudest professional achievements? Mm. When did you feel, wow, this is memorable, this is special? In either hat, in any hat? Any, in your career. Mm. Well, I guess as a dancer, I, I was particularly proud that I got to perform in Lise in La Female Gardet, because I was really quite a character dancer all my career. I, I always was the nurse or the mother. Even when I was 19, I was lady, you know, somebody's mother, Lady Capulet, and roles like that that were specifically for more of a dramatic uh, dancer. And so that was the one time I got to do a full length, which was both a character role but serious dancing, so I, I was proud of that. You look marvelous. What do you do to stay in shape? <laughs> You're very kind. Uh, I do attend what's called a therapy class. I call it bonehead ballet. It's just taught by Henry Berg for people who are returning from injuries, and we do a lot of exercises laying on the ground, and then a very sort of a modified bar, and I modify it uh, one-tenth of what it could be, but I still enjoy participating and I do, I, I warm up a little bit and I, it helps a little bit. And I also try to walk because I live near Twin Peaks so I have a lot of hills. That's about it. <laughs> uh, the first ballet on the program today is Sweet on Blanc and you've seen the ballet. What's your first, what was your first impression of the piece? Maybe give us some key words to describe it. I think I stayed away from it in the studio pretty much which is kind of a nice thing to do so that you can see something with a fresh eye, more like a, an audience member. Um, but as a, an instructor, I think what I was struck with mostly, and first of all, was some of the changes I saw in mostly in the, in the corps de ballet ladies, because the port de bras is very specific, and some of it is derived from the romantic style, and uh, Mayna Gilgood just imparted it beautifully to them, and I really saw a change that their arms were softer, they had, they, they were able to use their elbow uh, in, a, in a way that it only happens when you do a romantic style ballet. This is somewhat a romantic style and, and it's somewhat an, a modernist style. You know, it's, it's many things. But I was very impressed with that and with the amazing unity of, say, four, four men dancing together. I don't remember ever seeing quite such spectacular un unity. So those were a couple of things. If you're just joining us, I am speaking with ballet master and principal character dancer Anita Pachotti, and in a short while we'll be able to take a few uh, questions from the audience.
In the Night, that's your ballet, was choreographed by Jerome Robbins, who also gave America the musicals West Side Story and Fiddler on the Roof, an incredibly talented and, and, and gifted man. How many of you saw the PBS uh, American Master special on Jerome Robbins? I mean, you really see the, the vastness of his work. Um, what makes In the Night, or Robbins' work in particular, special to you? I think Jerome Robbins is very important in the history of ballet in, in this country, along with some others. Uh, maybe Agnes DeMille is one who comes to mind as well, who was bringing ballet off of the lofty uh, place it has come, came from, from kings and princes and everything's in a castle or a palace, but created new story ballets. For, for example, Fancy Free is one of his very first ballets, about three sailors on leave in New York City. Those, they were big firsts. So was Rodeo, Agnes DeMille, a story about a little cowgirl and cowboys. So it was a real turning point, and along with somebody like Tudor, um, they all knew each other, by the way. Uh, they were trying to invent a more natural way of presenting dance, classical dance. For example, the pantomime was no longer pantomime. It was real gesture and real acting, you know, you, you, you became a character and even though the dancing is part of it and it's very important, it's, it almost becomes, it just becomes part of the story. So you're not aware of choreography per se, you know, you're not, you're not supposed to see it. You just see the, uh, the realness of it. I think that's what I love about it so much. Can you talk about In the Night in particular? Tell us a little bit about in, is yes. it about something? Is it about it, a con? Well, In the Night is loosely uh, a, a story, if you will. It's not a, a very deep, deeply uh, told story, but there are impressions of people who gather at some location outdoors on an, on an evening. And they're dressed quite formally, so it's some kind of an uh, affair. And there are three distinct couples. The first one is, is very lovely and you can see that they're, they're in love, they're young. And uh, the second one is more of a formal couple. They look like he might be in military dress and she's, she's very lovely and they, they walk arm in arm a lot during the dance. So it's that kind of idea that I mean about Robbins, like to take something simple like walking arm in arm and then create a very complicated uh, but such an interesting dance. Uh, then the third couple is a, is a pair who come out of the wings and clearly they're having an argument from the, from the first second. You see that, that it's a fight. And that's a very interesting uh, way to dance, you know, to be forgetting, like the gesture will be this, no, like really real, you know, more the, like, a, like you're in a play, leave me alone. You know, it has nothing to do with, with ballet port -bras. Um then in the final scene, the three couples enter one at a time again, and then for a brief moment, they meet and exchange a little conversation, and then it winds down, and it, uh, it's, it's a wrap. Does the person who staged the ballet have a say in casting? A little bit. Um, Helgi is um, very well known for his work with Joan Robbins, so he really has the, the, the final say. And also Jean-Pierre Froelich, who's come with us many times, come out and stage works for us, is the head of the trust, so we always converse with him as well. So I might have some input, but it it's really comes from the top, the final, the final word. Um, 
it was an uh, honor, I have to say, to be entrusted to stage it on my own this time. Um, you don't have an assistant? Uh, no, no. And I have also staged it uh, in the Joffrey Ballet and also at Houston. So it's pretty much... Uh, so the whole ballet is in your head. Yeah, in, in, one, in this particular case, pretty much. Although, it's amazing. I discover new things all the time. You know, it's not like it has to be exactly identical or that each person who does it has to do it exactly the same way as someone else. It just has to, I just have to say, it just has to work. You have to believe it. And if you see one moment that's a little bit odd or, or it's just instantly registers like, uh-uh, something's off. It's either the timing or, a, or incorrect choice on a person's part. It's very fascinating. Uh, some folks say that, you know, as a choreographer, Balanchine was driven by the music, and Robin was, Robbins was more driven by concept. Do you think that's true? Yes, I do. Um, that, like I say, people can find within the piece, uh, in many ways, they can find their own musicality. It has to, it has to work, um, but it isn't quite as tick-tock as some other pieces, and it... it it wouldn't be anyway because it's Chopin and everybody plays Chopin differently and every, and every pianist plays it slightly differently every time. So you, you just really need to listen and you have to make choices even in the moment while you're dancing. So I would say it is, and actually is what I know about him is that what mattered so much was whether he believed the character. Even though he would always say, don't act, don't act. You know, you just, you, so it's quite subtle. You don't, if you see that someone's putting on uh, an emotion, that doesn't work. But if you just, but if the, if the partnership, the steps and the music are all coming together at the same time, you, you create something that is magical and you just, you believe it. Third ballet is Borderlands, which I saw at a dress rehearsal. The physicality of this ballet is, is, is stunning. And one question is, have dancers' technique and ability changed since you first joined the company in 1968? Yes, tremendously. I, I think the probably versatility is, a, is, a, is one word. But I think for me, it's, it's the phenomenal flexibility and strength that are now combined in the dancer and the ability to go from the center with, with classical ballet and turning and, and remaining on balance to be able to go so far off balance and such, in such extreme positions of, of the legs and the, and the spine. It just, it's like nothing existed like that before. Maybe in some kind of circus almost. They're, they're like Cirque du Soleil. And they're beautiful classical ballet dancers. It's, it's really something. And how many company members <clears throat> can do it. Not everyone has that kind of extreme uh, flexibility in the body, so he wouldn't pick those people, you know, but, but the, there are ample amount of dancers in our company who just dazzle and amaze in this type of work. Do you think there's some influence from the, so you think you can dance all these TV shows that are constantly showing these extreme positions, and is it kind of, hmm. is it feeding off of it's a great question. I, yeah, I think probably so. And in the case of Wayne McGregor, he's not a trained ballet dancer. He's a, he's a mover, but his concepts are coming right from his mind. 
they're not coming from a classical background. So I, I don't really know. I don't know him personally. So, but I think in I think in creativity, every art form influences every other one. So probably the answer is yes. Uh, Last year, the company uh, conducted a patron survey where members of the audience filled out forms after a show and there was a section called what are, that asked, what are your questions? And I read all 710 responses. <laughs> and you folks are fantastic. You're funny, you're honest, perceptive, you're curious. So I have a few of those questions. Can I ask you some of them? Let's go. Okay. Uh, why are there so many different casts? That seems so expensive. Why are there like, why do you teach the role of four different dancers? Uh, well, there's a, there's a lineup um, for so, sort of security because anybody could get sick or have an injury and not be able to do their shows. But the biggest reason, and this comes from Helgi Thomason, is that he really wants to see as many dancers doing as much as possible. He wants everyone to have a lot of performances and for the growing dancer, the up and coming one, it's, it's imperative that they are challenged with new roles. Now that, they may not do the opening night, they may just do one performance, but he wants to see, to see what they can bring to it. Then he knows how to place them in the future. So it's, it's for everybody's growth. And, uh, and it's also, I think, um, very good for the audience because some people come to more than one performance, especially of a full length or a, or a premiere. And, it, and it's a very fascinating uh, thing to do as an audience member to compare one performance with another. I don't, I'm sure some of you do that. You know, you have your favorites, but maybe you talk to someone else who has a different person that, they're, that they uh, enjoy the most, you know? So it's, it's good all around. Sometimes we hear an announcement of a cast change before a show. Maybe one of the dancers has been injured and there's a last minute change. How do substitute dancers perform on such short notice? Uh, we're professionals. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, you, you could spend, you know, maybe 30 hours learning a particular dance and suddenly something happens and you have to do the other side or a different thing. And it, it's just remarkable how, how, the, how the company members can just rise up to that. But generally we don't have to do any, something quite that extreme. You are, everyone who goes out there has been prepared so they just roll with it, really. Oftentimes, we had a case yesterday where uh, a dancer couldn't perform in the evening, so we, got, we have um, a young, new member of the cast and a veteran of the cast of In the Night, and we got together during Sweet on Blanc in the afternoon, had a rehearsal. It went very beautifully, and they danced stupendously last night. So we do what we can to patch it up. Depends how close to curtain time, how much time you get. Uh, does the performance of one dancer or several dancers affect the overall confidence or quality of the rest of the dancing team? So if somebody's like burning it up and doing a fabulous job, is everybody else affected and uh, pumped up and does the reverse happen? Somebody wipes out, does the rest of the crew kind of feel demoralized? Well, no, I think again, through thick and thin, I think everybody just marches on, you know, and doing their own best part. I, I think that would be a question for individual dancers and maybe there were some great anecdotes about that. It's certainly a, a big charge to be on the stage when someone is just hot. You know, that's really fun and, and maybe you're part of it. Maybe you're part of the crowd scene in Don Quixote or something like that. 
and we get very excited and, and it's wonderful to feel the audience response too. So in that sense, we certainly do respond. How do the dancers feel the next day after a performance? Are they sore? <laughs> it, I think after Borderlands, they're pretty sore. <laughs> I got a few um, comments. Uh, I, I, there's company class before this, you know, maybe you can. Um, and so I talked to some of the dancers and they were like, we're trashed. <laughs> they, they were feeling, feeling it, although they love it and they love the challenge and they love the excitement of the piece and, and working with the, Mr. McGregor, but uh, it, they are sore. Yeah, we can't really pay a lot of attention to it because you get home from the performance and it's about 11 p.m. and class starts at 11 the next morning, so you you can't really give in to it, you know, and the, the warm-up process really relieves a lot of that too, you know, the basic muscle soreness goes away as you get warmed up in the morning and you just you just have to carry on and do whatever you, you can do to help your body manage the next day. I like this question. Can dancers ad lib a bit? Can they do their own thing up there anytime? It depends. There are some ballets that actually uh, involve improv. In the Middle, somewhat elevated by William Forsyth, is such a piece. You wouldn't know it if you, if you were sitting in the audience. There's sometimes a group of steps or a, or a combination of things, and you can do them in any order you want. That happens. And as choreography uh, evolves, I'm sure it's going to happen more and more. Um, I would say in, in our company, we're, we're pretty carefully rehearsed. We pretty much want to do what we plan to do out there. There's always the odd time when you're, you, you have to improvise a finish to a turn or something because it didn't go right, or you slip, or any of those kinds of things, but um, we, we're pretty much rehearsed what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and this final comment from the survey, I'd love to answer your questions, but I've had too much champagne. On that note, um, I'd like to take some questions from the audience. Um, I will repeat them so that everybody can hear, but sh shout them out so that I can hear as well. Yes, ma'am. Can you talk a little bit about the ballet training that enables people to do these more, quote, eccentric, modern, or contemporary ballets? Yeah, I think, I think ballet training is an absolutely extraordinary uh, training. It's like learning to play a classical instrument. You, you understand so much about your body and how it works and the fineness of, each, of the muscles that are involved, the sense of balance, the sense of shape as well. Um, it's, it's, it's a total... Um, education of every part of you and you do it for many years you, d you wouldn't even be considered for a, a professional position until you'd studied it at least 10 years uh, so it is a it is a completely fine-tuned instrument and I think the other um, the other forms of dance are a little more specific and maybe you know a great tap dancer a great jazz dancer but even those people m most of them study ballet at some point along the way. So do ice skaters. It is kind of the common denominator to get, to get as good as you can get. Another question. Yes. Can you talk about your role as Lady Capulet in Romeo and Juliet? 
That was a long time ago. It was a wonderful, wonderful experience. It was Michael Smeuwen's ballet. And uh, what I always say about this is though I, I, I loved doing that. It was, it was absolutely cathartic. Uh, but what's so, so important for you to know is that that was, that was Michael's work. We, we, got to, we choreographed that together in the, he choreographed it in the summer, one summer, just that one sequence. He said, I, okay, from the very beginning, I want you to go crazy. And he, when Tybalt and dies, yeah. yeah. When when Tybalt dies, and every it was all it was all choreographed to the music, and um, I of course was willing to go for it, you know. So I had a contribution, but it was just a, his idea. That's just what he wanted. He wanted her to be ballistic, just nuts from the from the very beginning to the very end of that scene. So I did my best to do that. And this was filmed for PBS too. You, yeah, it, mm -hmm. right here. <clears throat> Are ballet dancers at this level uh, limited in the type of uh, more risky sports that they can do? Are, are ballet dancers allowed to do other sports, other activities? It's not a very good idea. That most of them <laughs> know that uh, themselves. Like they don't ski. They, um, we have a, we have some people who are pretty serious bikers. You know, they they take long rides. Um, one one new member does a lot of surfing, he's from Australia. He hasn't done it here yet, but not, it's not really possible. Mm. One last question. Yes, ma'am. When you're staging a ballet, is, is dance notation still used? Folks, there's, a, there's a, actually a language, it's almost like writing music, Banesh or Labanitation, a way of writing down dancers, and do people still use that? Uh, primarily, the English people do. The, uh, they're very uh, have very good schools for notation there. It didn't catch on in America as much. There are some people who use it, uh, but it certainly they're still very active, and people notate whole ballets. Yes, it does still is still used. Well, folks, I would like to thank my guest ballet master, Anita Pachotti, and thank you all for joining us today. You can listen to podcasts of these Meet the Artist interviews and learn about other future um, lecture events. Just click on Outreach edu uh, Education on our website at sfballet.org. Let's thank, please, with a nice round of applause, Anita Pachotti. Thank you.